Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Hello, everybody. This is David Lickin. Welcome to the podcast. It's Monday, May 29th, Memorial Day. And we're pleased that you're taking time to dial in and be a part of the podcast. Of course, many of you are listening to us on a downloaded basis. A vast majority of our audience does. And we appreciate you taking time to do so and telling others about it. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It's for mortgage professionals. And we're grateful to have you as our listener. And we're committed to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Again, we talk about how many people are doing this, whether working out or commuting. We love the feedback we get from you. Also, I want to say a special thank you to our regular guests that make the content of this podcast so compelling. And the reason we have so many people tuning in, literally thousands of people from all over the industry, all over the nation. Folks like Alice Alvey, Joe Farr, Andy Shell, Sam Garcia, and others. We appreciate them as well as all of the hot topic guests that come on sharing great information about what's going on in the industry. Again, it's Memorial Day, so I started researching the origin of Memorial Day, and I found this very interesting. It was originally called Decoration Day, and it was the day of remembrance for those that had died in service. It started three years after the Civil War ended on May 5, 1886. The head of the organization of the Union Veterans established the Decoration Day as a time for the nation to decorate the graves of those that had died in the Civil War, and of course then it's continued throughout all the wars. So as we turn to this day, we want to honor those that have served as well as those that paid the ultimate sacrifice and the families that have felt so much pain of that loss over the years. So we honor you and we thank you for all that you've done for our country. Let's get on with the rest of the podcast. Before we get into the hot topic segment with Jeff Sellers, we're going to hear from our sponsor, ArchMI, Shawnee Hunt. Thanks, David. Glad to be a sponsor. Spring home buying's underway. The supply is tight and interest rates are rising. Are lenders ready to compete for purchase business, or will they get left behind? ArchMI RateStar is the best way to stay aggressive and stay ahead of the herd. Use our risk-based pricing program to assess individual loan risk more precisely. With RateStar, lenders lead their market the way ArchMI leads the MI industry. Lead with us. Today, I'm excited to have with us, folks, Jeff Sellers of Emergency Management Solutions. Jeff is an emergency management expert, and his experience and expertise in certifications, including an NIMS, I don't have any idea what that is, but he's going to tell us what that is, and also the National Response Network as multiple hazard emergency planning. He's an active shooter. He's a credentialed advanced mediator. He's a private investigator, a fugitive recovery. This guy is the guy that goes out and recovers the people that are out there, that, uh, the bounty hunter. This guy is one of the most talented people. He's a Homeland Security consultant, a firearms training instructor, a martial arts firearms expert, and a first responder as a firefighter and a law enforcement. Now, you go, what does a guy like this have to do with a radio program such as Lincoln on Lenny? Well, what we realized, and I've had several requests from several of my clients asking, Dave, you know, we we get concerned sometimes about some of the stuff that's going on, uh, workplace of violence, and it 
I thought, you know what? I have a friend, Jeff Sellers, who talks about this, consults on this, and I thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring him on over this Memorial Day holiday. We're celebrating uh, our freedoms, and we're so grateful, and we remember so many that have given their lives, and we just don't want anyone else giving their life unneedlessly or needlessly in in the workplace. So with that, I'm going to get Jeff on. Jeff, good to have you here with us, friend. Hey, Dave. Good to see you, or good to hear you. Jeff, I'm curious to know, in your opinion, do corporations or businesses in general have good emergency operation plans? Well, in general, no. Uh, most businesses are required by insurance to have some type of risk management plan, um, and the insurance guys aren't really qualified to know what a good or bad plan looks like. So what you're talking about, some guys actually have a plan, but it's kind of like something you got off the shelf and you don't know if it's good. Yeah, exactly. But, and so, I mean, and if businesses generally don't, I suspect the mortgage business may be worse. Now, there may be some exceptions. Banks may have that. But is your experience even banks, you know, with banks, do they are they up on this? They, not not to not to the standards that I would like to see. Now they do some active shooter training and some basic emergency management, like for robberies and things of that nature. Uh, but even in the financial market, just even with the uh, the threat of you know IT and data terrorism, um, you know these emergency operations plans also address that. But when we look at these small businesses and corporations, these entities spend a lot of time, energy on and money on securing data. Uh, but one of the trends that I see is that corporations are focusing more on protecting data versus protecting people. That's um, there yeah. is a standard for emergency management, um, and it's called NIMS, the N-I-M-S. And these plans include methods to protect people, property, and data, and they also include mitigation and recovery. Um, emergency management has a life cycle, which is ingrained into every emergency operations plan, or EOP as we call it. So the mortgage industry has its share of acronyms and initials. So would you tell us what NIMS means exactly? Sure. Uh, NIMS is an acronym for the National Incident Management System. NIMS is a standardized approach to incident management, and it was developed by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, it was established in March of 2004 in response to Homeland Security Presidential Directive 5, which was issued by George Bush, W. Bush. Um, and it's intended to facilitate coordination between all responders, including all levels of government, public and private, and non-governmental agencies, and that would be our businesses and corporations. It was developed after 9-11, and basically what happened during 9-11, there was hundreds of agencies that responded you know, to the different sites and the responding agencies had different communications protocols preventing them from communicating between departments. But today, every responding agency, fire, police, and EMS use the NIMS protocol, and this is the same system we use for schools and businesses. Uh, when the emergency services respond to an incident, the business's EOP, or Emergency Operations Plan, is written to the same standard, and then the incident command team structure is the same. Uh, but depending on the size of the incident, you can have a unified command for an incident that includes the business incident commander and the incident command from responding agencies. So basically, if you had like three responding agencies and then you had your corporation incident commander, they would all form what's called a unified command to be able to address all the issues, like where are my people? Because it could be anything from small scale, like a chemical spill, up to you know a fire or a major weather event. 
you know, when you look at this stuff, it, you would think this was all in place, but it 9-11 really did shine a light on a lot of deficiencies that are there. So let's talk about what is an emergency operations plan under the NIMS, uh, am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. The NIMS, the NIMS yeah. protocol? <laughs> yes. Get, so a new the, pro get a new acronym here. <laughs> <laughs> like you need more. Yeah. Um, the EOP, or Emergency Operations Plan, um, it's it's a written plan to approach to approach multi-hazard incidents, including any hazard that could be harmful to people and property. Key staff members must be trained on the EOP and drills, and the, I mean the drills should be conducted with the staff. Like you know, if it's emergency, weather, fire, evacuations, tornadoes, um, active shooters, and things like that. You know, it includes things like if you have a railroad next to your office, um, that pre right. that presents a possible danger. A lake, you know, if you're downstream from a lake, a pipeline, if you're in an earthquake zone, and of course, active shooter, violence, and things of that nature are also in there. Uh, and like I uh, said before, uh, data loss. So, one of the data loss isn't included in this, but this has got a lot of external facilities and people protection, kind of a much broader. Yeah, what I'm hearing. Yeah, it, it really does, and it really takes an effort on the company's part. Um, usually, when I go in, I'll evaluate uh, a business or a school, do a security and safety evaluation, let them know kind of where their weaknesses are, where they could improve, and where their strengths are and then build on that and then form a team with their people to come up with a plan because it, it, there's more of a buy-in too when the company is involved in it. Um, if you just write a plan and leave it on a shelf, then they tend not to really engage yeah. with it. So they have more of a invested effort or, or interest in it. Um, but the BOP assigns responsibility to the individuals within the company for carrying out specific actions. You might have one guy that is going to contact the insurance company, one guy that's going to contact the mayor, deal with the media, uh, so forth and so on. One person that might, you know, doing a head count, you know, is everybody accounted for. Um, but also sets sets forth guidelines of authority and the organizational relationships and shows how all the actions will be coordinated. Describes how people and property will be protected in emergencies and disasters. You know, this could be something too where. If it's a school, they should have a decent amount of water and food to sustain them. And the Red Cross says for 72 hours, but that's a huge expense. If you have a, a school that has 2,000 people in it, that's going to be really difficult to do. Yeah, none of that, the storage of all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now in a bank or a bank or a independent mortgage banking company out there, that is a much more manageable thing. But this document sounds like it is extremely detailed. It is very detailed. The The average... EOP, let's just say for a school, is about 100 to 120 pages, but it also includes aerial pictures of the site. And then we lay out on the building where the gas shutoff is, where the electrical mains are, and things okay. of that nature. So essentially you could, if you're in a unified command with the police or fire, you take this book out there showing the map. The fire department typically in a large city is not going to know where every shutoff is, so this helps them to be able to get to those shutoffs if there's a fire or something like that where they need to cut power or gas. Hydrants, you know, fire hydrants, that's a big that's a big concern. Uh, shelters and things of that nature. But part of that, what we do too is consulting like for weather, especially for schools and, and, and tornado prone areas or businesses right. having a wind block um, in front of windows and doors uh, to prevent debris from just blowing through the glass. But yeah, so it, I mean, there's, it's, <laughs> it is so detailed. Uh, that it's really hard to really hard to pinpoint every part of it, but 
it's it's a comprehensive plan and it pretty much addresses everything. We look at the area the business is in. We do research on you know the pipelines, the railroads, even if there's a fertilizer plant or a chemical plant nearby. You know anything that could be a potential threat or hazard you know to the property or the people. That's uh, I get it that schools would have this and hospitals and facilities like that, but. You know, who should really have this other than that, that, that? Those are fairly obvious. I mean, is this something every business really needs to have? I, I think so. I think that whether it's a school, a business, a governmental agency like city or county, uh, churches, places of worship, they should have some type of realistic plan, something that's functional and something that their uh, key staff members are trained in. And it's not, it's not really good enough just to have it. Um, these procedures must be known by the command team, basically, um, within the company. And the business or the staff, you know, they should be trained on certain details in the EOP so they know what to do in the, in the event of an emergency. But the EOP really, what it really does is it helps to mitigate any incident. What we're trying to do is you can't stop 100%, you know, we can't stop weather. Uh, we can't be 100% prepared against actual shooter terrorism and things of that nature, workplace violence. But what we can do is reduce the number of people that get hurt, reduce the loss of life. And mitigation is a is a big part of that. Well, when you look at something, it's, it's, this is extremely comprehensive. And you know, you, everyone's starting – I wonder if my mortgage banking counterparts listening to this podcast are really wondering if they should have it. Now, so if they are considering it, and they should, what should be included in an emergency operation plan, an EOP? Yeah, so the EOP has a, a standard format under NIMS as far as certain protocols. Now, the details and hazards are customized for a particular business or location. It's not, it's not really a template that you can just you know, pop stuff into. I mean, there are certain things you can, like uh, staff phone lists and things of that nature, are pretty pretty standard, but, you know, the pictures, GPS locations, maybe even a landing zone for helicopter, but the most the most important items are the hazards that could specifically impact that particular business. And again, we talked about that a little bit. It could be railroads, fertilizer plants, propane right. distribution center. And the other items, like we said, include the weather, workplace violence, terrorist attack, active shooter, chemical right. incidents, loss of power, that's another one, and lockdown. And that's just right. the name of a few of them. Um, there, I mean, there's a there's a long list. Uh, now, not every every location is going to have railroad or earthquake or concern, but yeah, you know, right. we all no, deal with some type of. But you got to have that. I mean, it, it's important to think about that. I'm just thinking about clients right now and where some of their offices are located, and it's really kind of waking me up. Huh? I wonder if we do have, if or they have, an emergency operating. Uh, operations plan. So that's really interesting. You know, when an incident occurs, Jeff, are staff members involved in the execution of the plan, or is this just totally the function of authorities? No, abs no, absolutely they are. Um, it's kind of a combined effort with the authorities. So if an incident happens, you know, police, fire, EMS, they're not going to be the first on scene. The people in that building are the first on scene. You know, they're actively on scene. Like in an active shooter uh, situation, you might have or most of the damage in an active shooter situation is done within five to ten minutes on average if you look at the statistics. Um, that's, and that's how long it takes for, you know, police to get there. So during that time is kind of what we've called the critical period. This critical period for an active shooter situation is where you've got to make things happen to save lives. But the command team usually involves 
five staff members from, from the organization. And what we do is go through the NIMS training of the incident command structure. So they, you know, logistics and all the things we talked about, like somebody might have to talk to the media, somebody may have to talk to insurance, and your incident commander would be uh, working with the fire police and EMS or whoever's, you know, whoever's on site. So they are definitely active. And there might be some members of staff that have special skills, such as medical training, counseling, legal, uh, building operations experience. I mean, all those can play into being a positive contribution to the plan and, and the business when something or if something does happen. Right. So you may have business or I'm sorry, building maintenance people responsible for shutting off power or gas to the building. Or if you have somebody that's trained in CPR or how to use an AED, uh, they can act as an initial responder, you know, before EMS or something like that gets there if there's injuries. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. You know, you mentioned active shooter being a component of an emergency operation plan. Do you find that businesses are open to having trained staff carrying firearms? And we're here in Texas. You know, we have a lot of people that carry uh, a lot more than probably other parts of the country. But is this something you really want to encourage? Uh, man, on a biz on a, a national level, businesses are really all over the map on this. And so I really take an informative approach because I'm very much for firearms and using firearms to protect life. So I try to use an informative approach to those who are opposed to it. Some people are comfortable with firearms and others are not, but I believe the resistance is just due to the, the media and people being poorly informed about firearms because pretty much all we see in the media is bad things about guns, right? Right. So when a shooting or stabbing takes place, again, we talked about the average response time being five to ten minutes and this time is the critical period. So all of us have a right to defend ourselves um, and protect life with deadly force if necessary. I mean, we have a constitutional right. You know, there are some, you know, if we have a felony, you know, things like that that you may not be able to. But you can't really depend on law enforcement to do this initially. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just that they can't be everywhere. You know, we can only mitigate a situation. Um, It's impossible to defend against 100% of these threats, but we can be prepared. So um, I'm thinking of right now that incident happened where an executive at, was it up in Oklahoma, where an executive um, shot and killed someone that was, you know, wielding a knife and had already killed one person, was about ready to decapitate another, and it took the person out because of that. So, I mean, that you, you sit and think about it. Some people might think I'm uncomfortable having someone carrying guns in here. Well, you'll be uncomfortable until an incident happens, and you'll be very grateful that that person exists. Around yeah, you. it's it's kind of like you don't think about having an alarm on your house until you get broken into. Yeah. You know, uh, and after something happens, you're like, oh man, I need an alarm really bad. So it's, I mean, it's just human nature that we don't really think about, and we're not trained to think about. We don't want. We don't want to think about bad things happening to us or other people. Right. Um, it's not pleasant, you know, and it. we don't want to live in fear either. But being prepared, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in being prepared regardless of what it is. If right. it's emergency operations or you're taking a trip, make sure you have enough gas, you know, that type of stuff. You know, you and I are good friends, and I'm always amazed at all the different types of businesses and things that you're working in. You know, what is the personal reason why you do this type of work? Well, it's it's very rewarding to help people become more prepared and to help protect lives and assets, and more more so lives. Yeah. I've been told that I have very high protective instincts. I think you've said that before. I right? did. <laughs> I don't 
it's a compound. Not that I'm mean. I mean, I'm a very, you know, I am. I'm very nice and cheerful and love oh, people. Yeah. Um, but I love teaching people how to defend themselves physically and intellectually. Um, I mean, I care about the American dream of working hard and protecting our freedoms, and I want to reduce tragedy in our world, you know, one business at a time. Yeah, instantly, it's not just a redneck thing. It's, I mean, some people say, that's a redneck Texas thing. Yo, Jerry Guns down there. Well, you know, the reality is is that a lot of people are, are uh, packing, as they say, even the city and, and the, the bigger cities. It's just become that's the way things end. Sure. It's, it's just it's a society, and we hope it never happens. Workplace violence never shows up. And uh, But let's talk about some of the other services you provide related to this. Okay, so in addition to the EOPs and the consulting, we, we provide the security and risk assessments, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, but yeah. we basically go into uh, an existing business before we write a plan, again, to point out their strong points and areas that need improvement. But, you know, we also work with new building and renovation planning related to safety and security, staff safety, security and awareness seminars to staff, as well as the active shooter seminars to staff. So we actually teach what to do, you know, in an active shooter situation. And that's even if you're carrying a gun or not carrying a gun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, just because you're carrying a firearm doesn't mean you're, you know, you're eliminated from the threat. I mean, it, yeah. uh, that's a whole that's a whole other ball of wax. But, you know, we also provide firearms training to those who have a desire to carry concealed handguns. And in, in Texas, one of the big things is uh, the schools are now allowing that. Um, right. And I've got the certification, and they just put it out where – uh, I can actually teach teachers who have a concealed handgun license, you know, those steps of what they need to do with the active shooter training, things of that nature. But, you know, I've also had the privilege of speaking at various conventions um, about ver various emergency management talk topics. And, I mean, I enjoy this type of work, although it's a serious topic. Uh, I try to have as, as much fun as possible because I, I find that people listen more. Uh, if you're engaged with them, you're having fun, even though it is a serious topic. Because, you know, if you go in there, I mean, you could really make it doom and gloom and horrible. Everybody's going to walk out crying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to do that. No, it, so. it's got to be serious, but it's got to be as much as possible done in a way that uh, really connects with people. Because it is a serious topic. There's no question about this is a serious topic. So you're yeah. going to be doing some of this consulting. You're now ready to get started doing this consulting through our consulting firm. I'm blessed and honored with that. Yeah. Um, so when someone is is considering this and they want to have a conversation, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, they can uh, log on to our website. It's emergency-ms.com. Um, our phone number is 830-693-2500. And uh, those are the best ways. And then, of course, you go on the website, you'll find my email. Um, but, yeah, we love to talk to people. And that is jeff at emergency-ms.com. So if someone wants to get out there and get a hold of you, and they go, Jeff, I would like to have a conversation with you, and they want you to come in, talk about that initial experience, that journey that they can expect. Is it just classes and videos? I'm thinking of just driver ed things where you just watch videos. That's not what I understand. You're very yeah. active. You're looking at this. When you talked about the EOP, you're talking about maps, aerial views of, of this. I mean, this sounds like it could be rather comprehensive, and some might be thinking this is really expensive. So talk about that. Well, so initially we will send the client, potential client, a questionnaire, um, and it basically asks about different things like concerns they have, uh, security measures in place, and they kind of answer these, and it kind of gives me a preliminary overview of how to go about the next meeting. We schedule an on-site visit. Uh, we do the security and uh, safety audit, and then we meet with 
the key personnel that they've selected. You know, we kind of go through this with them and say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to select these these people to do these functions. And they can actually do the NIMS uh, incident command training online through FEMA. Okay. And it's, it's actually free. So after that, we go on site and like I said, we meet with those key people, but we also meet with law enforcement, EMS, and fire, and maybe the city, um, you know, some key people in the area, and let them know that we're working on an emergency operations plan. Um, and so I uh, might be on site, depending on how big the business is or how comprehensive, I might be on site for one day, maybe up to three days. And that's just collecting on-site data. So what I'm doing in my hotel room, even overnight, is typing out data, collecting data, and pretty much just working 20 hours a day, I would say, <laughs> on that while I'm there. Is your while you're evaluating? I mean, is there an evaluation that you can do on where companies are more at risk and should, and probably it's more compelling for them to do an EOP and uh, emergency? I have an emergency operating plan than other businesses. I mean, so how would you stratify those? I'm trying to figure out how to ask the question, but there may be more businesses. There's some businesses that are more at risk. Is it a geographic thing? What what would you say it'd be? It's hard to pinpoint that exactly. I mean, I would say that if you have a business that has open doors to the public, um, then you're at risk. And, you know, that's that could be a, a McDonald's, you know, for that matter. But really the initial, the planning, like doing the security and safety audit, that really helps us with a starting point. And then, you know, we just we work from there. But what, once we do the on-site visit and then go back to the office, it takes me about two weeks to complete the plan. And I'm still making phone calls and, you know, talking to the people within the business and things of that nature. Now, as far as cost-wise, you're looking at anywhere from about five grand on up for a comprehensive NIMS plan. Okay. Um, if it's a real small business, if you had a, a, an office with three or four people in it, it's not going to be that much. But I'm thinking of a, a small business with 50-plus employees. If you have a really right. small business, it's not going to be that much. But, um, of course, it depends on where they're located, too, because, you know, if you got to travel to Hawaii, which anybody that's listening is from Hawaii, I'd love to come see you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll discount yeah. the fees. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll discount that one. Yeah. Um, but the training, the staff training, too, is, is part of it. Um, which is a lot of fun, and then my wife also helps us with that because she was a school teacher for 16 years, and she, yeah. then she taught at college. So um, the training part of it is really where it's at and getting people to buy into it and to be prepared and get thinking because people don't think about this kind of stuff naturally. Most people right. don't. No, we don't. Um, most people don't we, know they have shingles on their roof. You know? <laughs> so yeah, don't, we have, yeah. So right, well, you don't really, yeah, you don't really think about things until that a regrettable moment where – Something is happening, and you're just standing there in shock and awe that this is even happening in your facility. So how much is external, from what you read and studied, you know, how much is external threats versus, you know, staff threats? I mean, your own staff going, I hate that expression, but going postal on them. Yeah, so workplace violence, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's a real threat because you, one of the things like we talk about in people that are carrying you know, concealed at a place of business um, at their workplace or a school is they typically won't have a problem to having to, if they had to shoot somebody uh, in defense if they don't know them. But right. when you talk about, hey, it could be if it's a teacher, it could be, hey, it's a student or it's a parent. It's somebody you know. Uh, same thing with a coworker. It could be, you know, Jim Bob down the street or down right. the hall. Right. Um, so when they think about that part of it, it, it really puts – the reality into their eyes. I see it when when I tell them that, their eyes open up. But you know, we also have to look at things. If you're going to carry firearms um, at a business or school, you've got to look at the legal aspect. You know, who's going to if you authorize them to carry? If there's a civil lawsuit because somebody gets shot, 
who's going to protect, you know, who's going to pay their legal fees, um, right. and also counseling. If somebody actually had to shoot somebody in defense of somebody else or themselves, and they actually died, then that I mean that's not a that's not something that's going to go away for that person. That that's something that they're going to need to talk about and deal with and process. You know, because there's going to be a grieving process, just like if you lost a loved one or anything like right. that. So there, I mean, with the firearms part, there's a lot to think about. But you know, some of us are built where we don't have a problem. You know, that's not, it doesn't matter. Uh, right. We're going to defend. Uh, and there's others that just don't think like that. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. You know, we're all we're all made differently. And those of us that can do that, uh, I think, should do that. And, uh, but we have to make sure the business have to make sure that they have support structure in place because yeah. I don't think it's really fair to put that on somebody without having that. Well, I think this is so much bigger than you know handguns and that type of thing. This is a much broader area. And let's go back and cover real quickly again a serious, effective, well-documented emergency op- an emergency operation plan covers what areas again, Jeff? Well, let me, let me say this real quick, too. So places that are businesses that do have an emergency operations plan, it may not need to be NIMS compliant. It may be called a risk management plan. Right. We evaluate that, too, because I want to see what they've put in there just to see, you know, and then say, well, we can add this, this, and this. And just, you know, when when you actually can evaluate their current plan and then compare it to yours, you know, if they have a 10-page plan and we have a 100-page plan with all the detailed information, I mean, it's pretty amazing. But you need to have in there – I mean, I mean, it's as basic as your address, your GPS coordinates, what kind of business you are. Do you deal with, are you making, you know, oil and gas products? Are you uh, pushing financial papers, services, yeah. Yeah, financial services, um, yeah. uh, the, the data and things that go on there? There's, you know, there's people that think that, you know, taking over the financial market is a way to cripple the U.S. versus, you know, bombings and things like that. Right. So, Potential kidnapping somebody that's important to do something that's big, you know. Again, it could get it can get really scary. I mean, it's my mind goes in all directions because I've seen it, um, and just from the law enforcement, fugitive recovery, and actually being a first responder, it kind of helps me because I've I've been there, and I think that's where the, the added value is to to what we do versus other organizations that uh, they may have the, the the you know actual computer knowledge and they've learned it from a book but actually having a real life experience I think makes a makes a big difference but they so they need to have you know your contact list for all your employees their emergency contacts so you know something happened let's say there was a fire in the facility everybody's going to go outside and meet in parking lot A for example right um, well then you have group leaders that are checking off lists to make sure everybody's accounted for you know this is really important in, in schools but in, in large companies too making sure your people are accounted for. If somebody's left in the building, we need to know who's left in there. And that also helps first responders when they go in to know that there's actually, you know, there might be people in there. Now, uh, and that's the first thing, if we get on scene to a house fire or anything like that, are there people inside? Well, yeah, somebody's inside, or we don't know, or there may be only pets inside. But regardless, that, that kind of information, you know, helps. And then if you know where they're located, if somebody's inside, let's just say, there's a lady inside. She has her cell phone, but she's barricaded in a room. Uh, she can't get out because of the fire. Well, we get out the map of the facility. Okay, she's in room, you know, 103. So the firefighters can say, okay, we can go in, in this entrance and get to her this way. Or we have to attack the fire first before we get to her. So the fire departments and things like that, they don't have these maps of all these facilities. Uh, right. Some of them do, uh, but they really, they really 
appreciate this, and it helps save lives. Oh, yeah, um, I can get it. You can quickly figure out. This is something that's very um, – it, it's really, like you said, not something that the average person thinks about. Unfortunately, once it starts happening or something, emergency unfolds, you sure wish you had one. And I encourage people to think about this and get a hold of my good friend and guest today, Jeff Sellers. You can reach him again. Go to the website, www.emergency-ms, as in marysam.com, or his phone number, 830-693-2500, or email Jeff at jeff at emergency-ms.com. Listeners, take this serious. It's one of those things. I mean, at least it doesn't, it doesn't cost you any money to pick up the phone and call Jeff. So I encourage you to do it. Thank you, Jeff, for taking time to be here with us. You're very welcome. Well, that wraps up this week's program. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day. Be sure to tune in next week. We've got as our special guest on the Hot Topic segment, Deborah Jasper, Ph.D., founder and CEO of Mindset Digital. She has got some valuable information of how you can use social media, LinkedIn, much more effectively. You won't want to miss next week's program. It'll help you help your business. It's going to be one of those programs. It's a must listen to. So have a great rest of your day. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thank you. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.